we go ahead and, and get started, let's go ahead and go to Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump right into the evening's message. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you so much, first of all, that you loved us. Lord, that you gave your word that we may know you and the power of your resurrection. And Father, we just pray that you would be with us tonight, Lord, as we uh, go through your word. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would edify us, that you'd strengthen us. And Lord, maybe if need be, convict us, Lord, maybe some things that we're just not doing. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, just be with this message. And I pray, Lord, that um, we leave the house of the Lord knowing that you met with us. And Father, I thank you for your love and for your mercy. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt like you were two different people with different desires and different thoughts? I mean, some days you, 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 you live your life and you think, man, I want to serve God, I want to, I want to go to church, I want to, I want to read my Bible, I want to do what's right. And then there's the times where you're like, oh, do I have to go to church? Oh, do I have to read the Bible? Oh, can I just sleep in and, and not have to worry about anything and just do what I want to do? And, and, and it's like two different people, isn't it? Um, if you are a born-again Christian, the reality of the fact is you are two different people. There's two different natures in you. There's two different people. Um, when a person is saved, they become a new creature. And there's a new part of them that is birth called the new man. And this is what creates the two parts of you that's within you. And if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4, look at verses 22 through 24 with me tonight. Paul here is writing to the, the, uh, the Ephesus church. And he's saying that you put off concerning the former conversation... The, the conversation meaning the, the things that you did, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So there's a new man and there's an old man. Your old man is your flesh, your old habits and desires before you were saved. This is what you used to be. The new man is your spirit. And is the part of you that the Holy Spirit quickens or revives and empowers in all believers. This is the part of you that fellowships and worships God. See, as we read here in the Scripture, the old man is corrupt. And it needs to be removed from our life and the new man put on. Like, um, what it means to be put on, it's like a, a, a garment. You know, you, it's raining out. You know, sometimes you put a cap on or... Uh, you put a coat on so if it's cold out. And we have to take that new man and we have to put him on every single day. This is a daily thing, if not several times throughout the day, when our old man seeks to be put on. You will never get rid of your old man until we either die or we are raptured. For the rest of your life, there is going to be that struggle within you between the new man and the old man. The old man is going to seek constantly to try to, to take over and, and, and basically king himself in your life. And the sad part is, is there's going to be times where you're going, to, you're going to want that. And you don't want to have the new man. You don't want to have the Holy Spirit uh, controlling you and, and uh, helping you decide with your life. 
You see, the sad part is, is that most Christians today are so weak spiritually, they're not living their lives with the new man in control. Instead, their flesh dictates what they do. And they are called carnal Christians. These are Christians who see nothing wrong with the things of the world, including entertainment, music, dress, the way they talk, what they look at, and so forth. Paul addressed this issue to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I mean, he starts off in 1 Corinthians saying, I wish I could write spiritual things to you, but I still have to deal with carnal things. You're, you haven't grown. You haven't, uh, you haven't been strengthened yet. And I have to give you milk, which that was when I was first there. But now I was expecting you to grow up, to be able to understand some things that, uh, of Scripture. And, and I, I can't teach you those because you're not ready yet. I have to go back and I have to give you some more milk. You see, they were carnal Christians. They were, these were, were born-again Christians that were still acting like the world. They hadn't changed. They hadn't grown up yet. They hadn't strengthened. Tonight I want to highlight with the, the, the topic of my message tonight, strengthening your new man. Strengthening your new man. Tonight I want to focus on how do we strengthen our new man. We first of all have to realize that our old man is dead. Your old man is supposed to be dead. That old part of you, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, God said you became a new creature. What you, your life be, when, before you got saved, that's gone. You need to view that and say, you know what? That's not my life no more. I'm no longer who I used to be. And many of us would say, praise God for that. Uh, but a lot of times, you know what? We, we don't want to get rid of our old man. You see, the Bible says that it was crucified with Christ. When He was crucified, our old man was crucified with Him. And we need, as Christians, need to leave our old man there. But instead, we choose to take it down from the cross and we give it power to rule our life again. If you look here in Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple chapters back, verse number 1. Chapter 2, verse number 1. It says here, And you hath he quickened, made alive, revived, who were dead in trespasses and sins. There was a part of you that was dead. That was your spirit. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So there was a time that we all walked according to the course of this world. We didn't know better. I mean, we lived our life, you know, we, we done what we thought was right, uh, we sinned because we thought that was just what you do. It's just what a person does. You, you, you know, you live for your own pleasure. You do what you want to do. And we didn't realize that we were living under the power of the prince of the power of the air. And it was a, the wrong spirit that we were following. But when we became a Christian, 
We're no longer supposed to follow that old way anymore. There should be a change in our life, a difference in our life. You see, our spirit is constantly at war with our flesh. That new man of you is also constantly at war with the old man. But often, we choose the victor. We choose who wins. Turn with me to Galatians, if you would. One book back. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And he says here, or that's not the one I want. I'm in 6. Okay, 5, 16. Okay, sorry. I was looking at the wrong chapter. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I mean, there's two parts of you. They are at war. They are at odds with each other. They don't get along. It's like, you know, taking two cats, dropping them both in the bathtub, and let them go at each other. <laughs> it's World War III. And that is a, there's a daily battle every single day within us between our, the old man and the new man, our flesh and our spirit. Both are desiring and seeking to have eminence in our life. But it's our choice whether or not we want to give our flesh or our spirit authority in our life. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. A couple of books back. Romans chapter 8, verse number 4. Verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The point I'm trying to make here is that a lot of times we as Christians, we live our day to day in the flesh. We get up, we don't read our Bibles, we just start to go, you know, whether we go to school, to work, to college, whatever it is in our life. And we don't even have any inkling of putting on the new man. Instead, we just live life. And what's sad part is, is when we allow that flesh to control our lives, the Bible says we do not please God. We do not please God at all. He wants us to live in the power of His Spirit. He, wants, he has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He wants us to utilize it. That's the whole reason why He has given us the Holy Spirit. For us to be able to use and to, be, to have victory over our flesh. See, when we walk in the Spirit and let the, the new man within us rule, 
We no longer live in the bondage of fear and people notice that there's something different about us. If you look here in Romans chapter 8, go to verse number 14. Verse number 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. There should be something unique, different about us. The world should be able to pick us out as a Christian. But instead, we try to blend in with, with the world around us and we don't want any kind of notice about us. But here's the thing. Those in the world, they're bound in bondage of fear. They're afraid of everything. I mean, you look at all these different uh, epidemics medically that come out, and I mean, the world just turns into fear. I mean, first it was the West Nile virus. Another one was the swine flu. Um, the other one was the Ebola and I mean, it's like, you know, these were huge things that were going on. And yes, people did die from them. But people went nuts. They went crazy over this thing. And yet you don't hear anything about it now, do you? It's like it's, you know, but I mean, at that time, I mean, it just there's always something new to be afraid of, isn't there? It's like they're always putting something that's going to scare people. And God has not given us that spirit. He has given us the spirit of peace. You see, there are several ways to strengthen your new man. I wish I had time to preach them all, but I just don't. Tonight I want to focus on two main ways that we can strengthen your new man. These are probably, I think, some of the easier ones. Um, but um, there's, there's some really good, good verses that, um, to help strengthen our new man. First of all tonight, your new man needs to be exercised. Now, I'm not talking about exorcism where you're casting out demons. That's a, different, that's a whole different word. Uh, I'm talking about exercise. And uh, Dean, would you mind coming up here and, and helping me with a uh, little bit of an illustration? Do you mind doing ten push-ups for me? <laughs> I know Nathan is like the push-up king and at uh, Target the Heart, but he's not here tonight. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead and start. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Um, so we just saw Dean. You know, he did some push-ups. Um, Dean, could you come back up here real quick? <laughs> now, um, can you do sit-ups? Yeah. Or um, <laughs> how about jumping jacks? You know how to do jumping yeah. jacks? Okay, do ten jumping jacks. <laughs> All right, thank you. You see, just as Dean was just showing here, there's ways to strengthen our body, isn't there? Now, push-ups isn't the only way. Yes, it works some, you know, on your arm muscles and things like that, and, and it helps in that area. 
Um, and then jumping jacks, that also helped in other areas. But there are other ways, there are several ways to exercise our new man. Exercise requires action in doing it, doesn't it? I mean, it requires movement. It requires um, doing something. Did it actually strengthen any of you watching Dean do jumping jacks? And <laughs> I mean, yeah, we probably you probably remember some of us were saying, "Man, I wish I could do ten push-ups <laughs> or ten jumping jacks," you know, because we just we just don't do it. We don't exercise. Um, the first way that we can exercise our new man, if you would, turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 22. The first way that we can exercise our new man is by applying the Word of God to our life and letting God start to change your attitudes and your desires. James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1.22 says here, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we're supposed to do something, aren't we? We're supposed to do something with what we hear, with the the word that we hear preached, with uh, the word that we read. We're supposed to do something with it. We're not just supposed to hear it. We're supposed to do something with it. Because um, it says here, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if he be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. You see, it, does, it doesn't do me any good just hearing it. I mean, because oftentimes, you, you know, sometimes it goes through one ear and out the other. But it, when I hear the word of God, I need to think about it. I need, to, I need to, to, to bring it into my heart and contemplate what is, what is God trying to speak to me? What is God trying to tell me through these verses? What is God trying to tell me through what I've read or, or what the, the, is being preached to me? And when God starts saying, you know what, maybe, you know, sometimes it's good things and it's bad things. Sometimes He points out saying, you know what, there are some areas in your life you really shouldn't be doing. This is not bringing me honor. But when we read that we, and, we, and God starts bringing us under conviction, man, I, I'm just going to be honest with you, there's been many times I've heard the preaching of the Word of God. And back home, we always had an invitation at the end of every single message. And, you know, where you go forward and just really, you, you, you allow yourself to, to, to go to the altar and, and, just make a, and just make a commitment to God. Say, Lord... This is what you're working on my heart. This I know I need to change this. Help me to make this change. And there'll be times that I've been I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and I'm just really, you know, dealing with it. And I said, you know what? I'll deal with it when I get home. I'll I'll, I'll work on that when I get home. And what happens when I get back home? It goes right out the mind. Because I didn't make I didn't apply it. I didn't hear what was being told to me and, and it was working on my heart. I didn't say, you know what, God, I need, to, I need to make a decision about this. I need to make a commitment to you. And because I didn't do that, it went out the mind. 
And there's times I, I regret that. The second way that you can exercise is by getting rid of beliefs and thoughts that are not true and stop believing things contrary to Scripture. This includes our own traditions that conflict with Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So not only are we supposed to apply the Word of God, but secondly, we need to get rid of some beliefs and thoughts that are not true. So maybe our traditions that really they're not scriptural at all. We need to get rid of those. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You see, there's a popular myth that, you know, when we die, we're going to be standing in front of the gates of heaven and Peter's going to be there with a big book and he's saying, you know, oh, uh, let's see here, you did some good things, I'll let you into heaven. Oh, you did some really bad things in your life. I'm, you're going to have to go to hell. And there's a lot of people who believe that Peter is up there at the pearly gates and he's got a book and he's checking to make sure that they're good enough to go into heaven. And I know... It seems comical, but there's some people who seriously believe that. Before I heard the gospel, I thought, I thought the same thing. I thought that everything that I did in my life, my good works, my bad works, that, you know, I'm going to be judged by whether or not my good works were better than my bad works. And so, as a young man, I tried my best to be as good as possible because I wanted to make sure I was going to get to heaven. But even still, there were some bad things I knew in my life that I was doing that, you know what, I didn't think they were as bad as that my good works were. But the thing is, though, is that in my own heart and mind, this wasn't even scriptural. There's nothing in Scripture about our good works and our bad works weighing out whether or not we can go into heaven. That's completely false. It's only through Jesus Christ alone are we allowed into heaven. That's it. Our works are as filthy rags. We can't work our way into heaven. We cannot uh, make ourselves go to heaven. It is only by trusting in what Jesus has already done. Some people in some cultures think that if I put a Bible next to my bed or under my pillow, it will give me good dreams. It will somehow, as osmosis, that I will get blessed by God if I have the Holy Bible underneath my pillow. Or next beside my bed, uh, you, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's there's there are some cultures that believe that they believe. I mean, they'll have a uh, they won't ever read it, but they'll have a Bible sitting right next to their bed because they think that is a a guard or a barrier against the evil spirits, against the bad spirits. And so they'll put that Bible, thinking that's all they need to keep the bad spirits away, and they never apply it. They never read it. They never look at it. But it's there. They have it. And they never do anything with it. You see, this book is not a good luck charm. I mean, the book itself is just paper. <laughs> you know? There's nothing, there's nothing magical about this book. There's nothing mythical about this book. Now, granted, the words that it contains within it, they are not of this world. And they will change your life if you allow them to. But this book itself isn't some kind of hocus-pocus token. 
It's not gonna. It's not you know. It's not gonna ward away the bad spirits and evil thoughts and things like that. The words that are contained within it will. I mean, the more that you read this word and the more that you begin to think and contemplate, those bad thoughts are gonna get out of your head. But the book itself, there's nothing mystical about it. These are myths. These are traditions. These are things that cultures have. And I'm, I'm sure there's probably many more that I don't even fathom what they could be. But Timothy says, get rid of those old wise fables that are contrary to Scripture. If they don't match up to what the Word of God says, don't believe them. Don't, re- don't, don't buy into them. Thirdly, start living a godly life that would be honoring to the Lord. This is the third way. Start living a godly life. First uh, Timothy four eight, the next verse says here: For bodily exercise profiteth little. Dean, how do you feel after you did the, you know, the push-ups and jumping jacks? You feel pretty good, don't you? Yeah, it does profit. It does profit a little bit. But look what Paul is writing here to Timothy. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Look at 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in the word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Here he's saying, Timothy, don't let anybody despise. Look upon how you know your youth, because you know they think, oh, how could you be a, a, a man of God being so young? But he's saying, be an example. Take what you have learned. The, the godliness that, that you have learned from your, from your mother, from your grandmother, from the things that I have taught you, and be an example to the believers. In word of conversation, how you talk. In charity, what you, in, in your love for people, and what you do for people. In spirit, in faith, in purity. Here he's, he's highlighting how important our testimonies are. I mean, if, if you don't have a... If, if, Having a good testimony is priceless. I mean, if, if you go to work and you are always flying off at the handle, you have a temper that you just cannot control. And when you are and when and, and, and when you're at work, what do people think about you? Do they know you as just oh that that's that that man who's he's always angry, he's always yelling at somebody. And you know, he just seems like he's just always about ready to explode. Is that godly? What kind of impression are you leaving? And, and they know that you go to church on Sundays, and they know that you you know you're, you read your Bible, you bring your Bible, and things like that. And and they look at that and they think, how does this match up? How does this? How can this equate? Sadly. Our lives are always on display. I know there's sometimes we wish that we could just 
go somewhere where nobody's watching us. You know, where nobody's you know having the magnifying glass and trying to to pinpoint all of our faults just because we're a Christian. I mean, the world is, you know, you may not realize it, but people are watching you all the time. They want to see how you act. They want to see what you're going to do. How are you going to respond in situations? And if they see something that they perceive as contrary to being a Christian, then they're not going to listen to you. I'll be honest with you, when I was in, uh, in um, secondary school, I went to school with people who were Roman Catholics. But to me, I was lost. I, I never went to church. I thought that meant they were Christian. I thought that they, you know, that these young kids were, you know, that they were, they were supposed to be Christians. And as I watched them, I knew that they were doing things outside of school that I would never do. They were partying. I knew some of them were sleeping around with people. Uh, they had really bad testimonies. And I remember watching that and looking at that and saying, if these are supposed to be Christians, then I want nothing to do with Christianity. That's how much of a, of a sour taste their actions and their testimonies were put in my mouth as an unbeliever, as someone who never went to church. Because to me, a Christian was supposed to live differently. They were supposed to live better. There, were, there, was, a, there was, in my mind, in the, in the mind of this world, a Christian is supposed to live better and differently than the rest of the world. And if we don't live that, it hurts our testimony. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 25. Paul is also furthering, kind of giving a little bit about our testimony, what we should do as Christians now than when we allow the new man to have control in our life. Verse number 25. says, Wherefore, putting away lying. We're not supposed to lie no more. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he might have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Here he's showing a, a pretty good illustration here. This is what you used to do in your old man. We used to lie. 
We used to curse. We used to steal. Uh, we used to, to live in anger and bitterness and wrath and clamor. We used to have malice in our heart. We used to be unforgiving to people. And now Paul is saying, the new man has none of that. Instead of lying, tell the truth now. Instead of cursing, instead of saying vile things out of your mouth, use it for edifying. Use it to lift up people. Use it to minister grace unto the hearers. If, you're, if you used to steal, don't steal no more. Rather, work, labor, work hard, and be able to give to those that need. So you're seeing here the contrast between the old and the new. And here he's showing you, here's some ways how you can exercise that new man as you try to live godly, try to allow God to have control of your life. Lastly, turn to Colossians. Verse, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, actually, go back up to verse 7. It says here, In the which ye have also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Kind of, kind of a similar passage to what we just read in, in Ephesians here. Um, seeing that ye have put off the old man, with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Here, Paul is giving examples. This is how you become more godly. This is how you, you learn how to be godly. He's, he's doing a compare and contrast. This is what you used to do. Now this is what you should do as a as a Christian, and you're strengthening and you're exercising your old man, or sorry, your new man, when you start to do these things with your life, you're you're giving your you're giving that new man power, as he tries to as you you know that this is what I have to do to live right. Um, lastly, for exercising your new man, is by hearing the word of God preached and taught. Romans ten seventeen says, "So then, faith cometh by hearing." and hearing by the Word of God. As you listen to preaching, as you hear preaching, and, and again, as, as the first one, start applying it to your life, you will strengthen and exercise that new man that's in you. Now, besides exercising, your new man also needs to be fed. It needs to be fed. Just as we have to feed our physical bodies, our new man must be fed as well. Our new man does not use the same food and sustenance that our physical body needs in order to survive. I can't feed my new man a nice cheeseburger from McDonald's. (laughs) 
I can't. He doesn't. It doesn't take that food. Now my old man, my flesh. Oh, it loves things that aren't good for it. Um, but our new man has different food that it that it lives off of. Now doctors say that a person could go as long as eight weeks without any kind of food, but they have to have water. Thomas McElwee of the 1981 Irish hunger strike lasted 73 days without food. Can you imagine going 73 days without any kind of food? But he was given water. Jesus and Elijah were two men who fasted for 40 days. When Jesus was at the end of the 40 days, the very first way that Satan tempted Jesus was the natural need for food, wasn't it? The very first way. He said, you know, all you got to do is command these stones to be bread. I mean, after 40 days, he was starving. He was beginning to get weak. Though Jesus was physically weakened, he knew this battle was not going to be a physical battle, but spiritual. And his response was that he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, we, we cannot live without physical food. It's, it's a necessity of life. We have to have physical food. But Jesus showed that it's not the most important thing that we need. It's not the most the thing that we need in our life. Now, I have a piece of bread here. See, I know that um, uh, Brother Dan has been kind of uh, a little bit lonely now with uh, Kathy being gone. And now, Kathy obviously has provided him with many meals. And things like that. But um, say I, I had this piece of bread and I gave it to Brother Dan. I said, here you go, Dan. And um, how long would you be able to go with just this piece of bread? <laughs> you'd, you'd get hungry again soon, wouldn't you? I mean, this is, just, this is just one piece of bread. I mean, I would probably need some cheese, some meat, maybe a little bit of butter, some mayo, uh, and at least two slices. Um, but a lot of times in our lives, we open up the Bible once a week and we read a couple chapters maybe and we expect our new man to live off of that little bit of, of food. I mean, every single day we have to eat, don't we? I mean, now, I, I, I eat more than a piece of bread. I really do. <laughs> we, all, we all probably do, don't we? Um, most of us here, we couldn't survive off of a piece of bread. Well, we could if we had to. But we usually need to have more in our lives, don't we? For us to, to get the nourishment that we need. And I'm, I'm going to kind of show you just the importance of that. But most... Christians today, people who claim to be Christians, they live malnourished lives. They have very little strength, very little power. They live their lives in mediocrity, and they think that this is completely normal. Uh, they go to church once a week. They put a couple euro in the offering. They don't really tithe. They just say, oh, I'll just put a couple euros in there and that should be good. They fumble through their Bible during the message. 
That's the only time they ever read their Bible is trying to find the places that's being preached about. They pray only for their food, even if they even remember to do that. They refuse to sing during congregational singing. They never witness to anybody. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be afraid of what someone's going to say to them. And they live their lives expecting God to bless them for their efforts. And yet, as they go through life, they wonder why, God, why don't you seem real to me? Why, why, why aren't you in my, in my life? And it's because they don't put, they don't, they don't feast. They take that little bit of bread and they try to live their entire life on that little nibbles. And they wonder why they're so weak. See, this is lukewarm Christianity and it makes God sick. It makes Him sick. Now, to be fair, some honestly do not know better. And they do not know how to strengthen their inner man. But sadly, most don't see the importance in it. They really don't see it as something that's important in life. And honestly, it's the least of their worries. You know, they come to church, they put on that outward, you know, smile, saying, hey, how are you, you know. And it's all a facade. It's all a facade. You know, they, they, they endure the hour or two that they have to come to church, and they go back home, and it's as if they never went to church. They just become their old selves. Uh, they don't look at the Word of God. They don't even think about God the whole rest of the week. And they wonder why God isn't real. They wonder why God's not doing things in their life. They wonder why, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Because they are so weak in their life. So how do we feed our new man? First, you need to start consuming spiritual food. See, God has given us all the spiritual food that we will ever need. This is a boundless supply. It is, there, he's, he's given us as much as we want to partake of whenever we want it. It is given to us freely. I mean, we can read as much as we want or we can read as much as little as we want. I mean, it's like God giving us, you know, t- you know I'm just going to use the, il- the illustration. It's like God taking us to McDonald's and saying, okay, you can order whatever you want off of the menu. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the most expensive meal. Um, it doesn't matter what you want. I mean, you could, you could take home extras, you know, and, and give it to... You know, whoever you want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have anything that you want. And then us going in there and saying, can I have a water, please? A glass of water? doesn't cost anything, does it? Here he's given you everything. And yet we don't, eh, I'll just have a glass of water. He's saying, I, I've got everything to feed you so that you won't go hungry. And instead we refuse it and say, nah, I'll just manage my own life. God has given us everything that we need for our spirit in His Word. Matthew 4.4, we just read it here a second ago. But He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Colossians 
chapter 3, verse 10. Um, for sake of time, I'll just read these scriptures for you. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Renewed in knowledge. We have to know the scriptures. We need to know why, why, what is about our new man. God has revealed what we need to know about him. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Hebrews 5.14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of, a, of a full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As you begin to learn Bible truths and doctrines and things like that, you can start going away from the milk and start learning more of the meteor doctrines of the Bible. Uh, maybe, you know, some people say, you know what, I just can't read the Old Testament. It makes no sense to me. Well, it might be that you're just not ready for it yet. You're not ready to read the Old Testament yet. And so, so focus on the New Testament. As you learn the truths of, of the doctrines of Christ and salvation and, and get those things settled and founded and, as you, and, and start to grow in, in your understanding, then you can start going into the Old Testament and start learning the truths of the Old Testament and applying them into your lives as well. I mean, I'll be honest with you. After I got done reading the New Testament and things like that, when I started reading the Old Testament, it just, I mean, it just, my eyes were just wide, wide open. I mean, I could see things. As I started to read the Old Testament, I could see verse after verse after verse after verse pointing to Jesus Christ. I mean, everything was pointing to Christ. Pointing, this is what's going to happen. I mean, you know, talk about the temple, things like that. And, as I, and, I, and the sacrifices, I, I understood, you know, that Jesus took my place. He was that sacrificial lamb for my sin. You know, um, He was the Passover lamb for my life. And I was able to start seeing those truths in the Old Testament. I was able to apply those and be able to strengthen myself as I, as I saw those different things in my life. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Studying takes work, doesn't it? It takes reading. It takes looking at things. I wish I could just read and just stuck in there, you know. <laughs> but sadly, that that doesn't work. Sometimes I have to read it and reread it and reread it before things start to kind of start settling into my mind and say, okay, I understand what that verse is trying to tell me now. We need to show our, we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's going to be a lot of Christians who stand before the judgment seat of Christ and their lives were not godly. They didn't have a, a Christian testimony. They did nothing for Christ. And they're going to say, well, God, you didn't tell me how I was supposed to live. You didn't show me how I was supposed to live. And he's going to say, I gave you a whole book of what to do and how I expect you to live. You chose not to read it. You chose not to study it. You chose not to apply it to your life. And we're going to have no excuse. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. 
John 6.63 says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Romans 15.4 said, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's the whole reason why the Old Testament was given to us, was to point to Christ and give us hope. And lastly, Mark 12.24 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye, therefore, do ye there not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. With spending time in God's Word, you can feed your inner man through fellowship with God and prayer as well. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Not only as you read God's Word, but as you spend time with Him in prayer. You're feeding your spirit. Basically and ultimately, to feed your new man, you need to spend time with God. That's how you feed your, your new man. is the time that you spend with God. And when the amazing truth is, is that you can never get too full. You can never get too full of your time with God. When we are filled, this enables us to minister in the spirit rather than in the flesh. You see, most of us, and I'll say myself included more times than I wish, we go and we spend our time, you know, we read God's Word and spend time in prayer, and God fills, us, fills our cup. He gives us nourishment. And what we do is we just gulp it right down. We say, oh, that was great, Lord. That was good. And next day, you know, we do the same thing. You know, we he fills us up and we gulp it right down. But the thing is, though, is that we're supposed to be getting so filled that I'm not going to do it because I'm going to get everything all wet, <laughs> that our cup is supposed to run over. David said, my cup runneth over. When I'm spending time with you, Lord, I can't get enough. And as, and as he spent time with them, what this does is then enables us, I don't have another cup, but to pour our lives into other people. And that's how ministry should be done. The things that we do for other people should be done in the spirit of what is of what the, the extra that God has given us. But too often we try to do things in the flesh, and we only get enough just for us. We don't try to, to take in anything else for other people. And that's a sad thing. We, we, we do enough just, just to get by for our own lives. When there's a lot of people out there that are looking and desiring for someone just to show them something different. So in conclusion tonight, first, in order to even have a new man, he must be born again and trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. I'm sorry, but this flesh is going to stay here on earth when I die. 
And unless I get raptured, my physical body is not going up. (laughs) I can't physically get into heaven. But my spirit can. The Apostle Paul had the same struggle that we all have. But he desired to walk in the Spirit instead of his flesh. Now, there was times where he said, you know what, I want to do right, but I can't. It seems like I, you know, the more that I want to serve God, there's a part of me that doesn't want to serve God. The things I want to do, I do not. The things I don't want to do, those I end up doing. I'm paraphrasing, but the Apostle Paul showed us the struggle. But he wrote in Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. You look at the life of Paul, even though he had that same struggle that you and I go through, his desire was, I am crucified with Christ. That was his focus. He said, you know what? No matter what goes on in my life, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This verse should be the desire of every single Christian. No matter the struggle that you have between your new man and your old man, no matter what, you said, you know what? No matter what I want with my life, I want my life to be pleasing to God. I want my life to be a life that God can use. Lastly, as we look and see the day of Christ's return fast approaching, let us strive to strengthen our new man, more and more. Romans 13, 11-14 says, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Christ is coming back soon. We don't know when. It could be today. I mean, Paul, he, Apostle Paul, when he was writing this, he said, it's coming soon. And so he desired, he desired his life to live that he expected Christ to return any moment. And we're supposed to live the same way because He could return any moment. And I think we'd rather have be living in our new man than allowing our old man to be reigning and be ashamed when He comes back. So these are just a couple of strengths that I, w- I want to share with you tonight. The Lord just really showed me some things as I was reading my Bible and studying. and um, It really helped me as I um, read this. And I don't know about you, but I desire... I want God to to lead my life. I don't want Andrew to take control and, and to run my life. I want God to be able to use me. And that should be a desire that we all have. That we said, God, I want you to have control. I want I'm yielding my will, my desires. I'm letting you take them. And that should be what we desire the most.